Hey, what's going on? It's Rico from the Made in China podcast, SourceFind Asia YouTube channel, and SourceFind Asia manufacturing consulting company. All right, so this episode is part two um, of uh, the Ahmed Abule uh, interview, which is, like I said, um, it's just a two-part, two-hour podcast that we did. He is an FBA seller, a serial entrepreneur, world traveler, and I really enjoyed talking to him. I think part one was amazing. So if you haven't listened to part one yet, I highly recommend you go listen to part one first and then come back and listen to part two. Enjoy. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. I encourage a lot of people to, to, to squat in their daily routine or exercises, you know? A lot, of, a lot of weird things that Chinese people do, but it's like when you start looking at the facts, they, they definitely make sense. And yeah, yeah overall, yeah. overall, I love the country, man. I definitely am I'm planning a visit soon. Um, hopefully, I think my goal timeline is between now and possibly February. Uh, making the jump across the border and living there for a little bit. Um, first goal would probably be to learn Chinese. I think that's an absolute must if you're going to live in China. I think if you're good planning just to visit, I would highly recommend learning the basics, the basic words, and getting around and ordering food. Mm-hmm. So you were in Guangzhou for three weeks and then you went to... I uh, went to Shaman. Mm-hmm. Good experience, you know. Um, overall... Um, I drank a lot of tea. When you're in business meetings with the Chinese, the tea does does not stop. Mm. And I mean, from the moment you sit down, yeah, you, sit, you sit down and sit down in the boss's office, and then they start pouring that tea. Now imagine, yeah. imagine if it was summer. <laughs> you, oh, wow. Imagine if that was a summer situation, and you're trying to negotiate a contract, and they just pour in the hot tea. <laughs> Yeah. I think the interesting about the Chinese is they have a, they have an exact goal in every meeting of what they want to accomplish, yeah. and they'll do it in so many different ways, and be able to, and and kind of, you know, they'll use different tactics. Whether it's it's asking you the same questions over again, or or continuously talking I, sometimes I feel like I couldn't finish a meeting it was like I couldn't wrap it up I would try to wrap it up and like try to hit like, that I was like kind of like done mm. and they would just continue talking continue talking and then it's like hey want to grab lunch and I'm like yeah sure <laughs> and then you're in the bit lunch right lunch is two hours you come back and then they push it push it push it and it's like alright cool let's do dinner and you're like alright let's do dinner and I, you know, it's it's great Building, you know, relationship building. I definitely see if you if you have a you know supplier that you're working with, definitely do the lunch, do the dinner, do the after dinner. They'll they'll try to invite you somewhere, um, you know, and and keep. It's a great way to kind of really build a relationship with your supplier because they want to understand you as much as you want to understand them. I think partnerships, they they see it more of definitely the friendship and a partnership. But at the same time, it's like there's definitely business to it, but there's definitely like this huge like they want to get to know who you are and the kind of person that you are, um, based on can they trust you? You know, are you serious? Uh, are you not wasting their time and so on? 
So there's a lot of little things that they look for, and they'll they'll definitely find their ways to get their answers. Uh, and they're smart. These are very very smart people, and they're, I, in my opinion, some of the best salesmen in the world. They may not negotiate and budge sometimes. Um, sometimes they will, you know. But just trying to understand their psychology. It's it's it's. Um, it's I feel like to really get there, you have to live in China. You have to. Um, we have to learn the language and, and do as much digging into the culture as possible. Yeah. Oh no. With regards to sales, um, I think when you've been dealing with exporting products for as long as they have, they've developed techniques in terms of how they should communicate with people. I think what's changing now is that a lot of the people that are buying products from them. Uh, are spending more extended periods of time in China. You know, I think that's the newest thing. Is like before they'd have all these clients who would come in for a couple of days and place an order and then leave, or just come in for the Canton Fair and then place an order and then leave. But now with you know the internet and digital nomads and all this stuff, it's like a lot of people are actually coming to China and like living here and learning and listening to my podcast and like all that stuff, right? So now they're dealing with people that are slightly more educated. To their ways of communication, and it, it's a little bit more difficult for them. But definitely, very good salespeople. Like I talk to my staff all the time. It's like they'll ask a factory person a question, and then you know the factory person will start talking, and then they'll talk for five minutes without answering the question. You know, and uh, it, it creates a situation where my my staff forget. That they had this original question, and I. Uh, this is part of the reason why it's it's really nice to be able to bring people with you to negotiate. Is I will sit back while my staff are doing this, and then I'll go back, and my employee will look at me and be like, "Okay," and I'm like, "Yeah, but he didn't answer the question." And then they right. then they go, "Oh, oh yeah, oh," yeah. and then they jump back, <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, that's sales, man. Like that's like he didn't want to answer the question because it was a question that would is an uncomfortable question for him to answer, so then or or for her to answer, and then they just kind of yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, that's but you know what about this, and then but you know the thing about business in China, and then hey, and you know in Shanghai, and it's like wait, wait, no, no, I was asking you where you get your packaging from, like what are you like, <laughs> you know, it's like so you have to you have to literally be very direct focused and and yeah. direct and you know they're and they're not direct yeah they beat around they way beat too around. much so and then and then you know you ask the question if they don't answer you ask it again if they still don't answer you say hey you didn't answer my question and then you ask the question again and then that's how you get your answer so like a lot of times you you have to be very very focused it, it is difficult when you're dealing with a new culture and you're there for the first time and you're by yourself um, that that becomes very difficult because you're 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 dealing with so many things, man. You're dealing with the tea. You're dealing with, you know, the fact that you're in a foreign country. You're at a factory for the first time. You've probably gone on a tour. Like you've probably got a lot of different things going through your brain. So it, it's hard to to focus on on the nego. And they know this. You know, they know that. Yeah. Um. And Another thing is to point out is their seating is different, right? We're used to we come. You know, when we have a meeting in the U.S., you're used to these leather chairs. You kind of kick back a little bit. Big tables. There, it's a little different. The tables are a lot, not not a lot smaller, but they're smaller. And then the chairs are lower to the ground, right? And 
most of the times they might be wood. Depends. So it depends. Uh, depends on the factory. Like if you go into the okay. factory boss's office, then yes, it's what you what you're describing. But if they put you in the conference room. The conference room tends to be very le- typical yeah. leather, or not not even just leather, but just typical office chairs um, mm, that, okay. that are that are comfortable with a big uh, meeting table. Actually, the meeting table thing in China is like a very common thing. Like having a gigantic meeting table is is common. Okay, because people most of the times that yeah, I was in the boss's office, so I felt like there again, it's like psychological. They're trying to put you in their setting where they're comfortable, yep. and you might be slightly uncomfortable. Yeah. To get you down. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you when you go into the boss's office, uh, that's that tends to be, you know, that tends to be negotiation time. Uh, that, that tends to be a situation where you're, you're negotiating something, or or, you know, the the boss is trying to show that he's being a very very attentive to your project and stuff like that. When you're in the meeting room. The meeting room tends to be the area where you sit down with the engineer, salesperson, and, and then you're just kind of discussing everything around the project. You're not really talking too deeply about uh, pricing, but when it comes to like, oh, we have a serious negotiation about this particular thing, then sometimes they'll pull you into the boss's office. Mm. And yeah, that's where the wood chairs, wooden chairs are, the smaller table, the the tea comes out. Yeah. And the, and the boss, cigarette smoke. the cigarette smoke, and and uh, a lot of times traditionally the boss will be the one pouring the tea. Yes, yeah. I noticed that. Yeah, That's a good point. Uh, I think one thing you mentioned, and I thought this was hilarious. I still think about it till now. Was um, the way that they offer you cigarettes, mm. <laughs> and it was kind of like. For me, it was like you know they'll offer you a cigarette, and you don't want it right now. It, it, I think you said it best was kind of like, you know, I'll say no to a cigarette and then like, you know, 30 minutes later, he'll offer me a cigarette again. And I'm like, well, I don't really smoke, you know, but thank you. And then it's just like, it, it goes on and on. It's nonstop. Yeah. You said it in a way where, yeah, what you said. It you was, uh, I can't take, I can't take credit for it. It was uh, Mike, my business partner. He, he brings all these basketball guys over and one basketball guy. Uh, they were in like some really small city in the middle of nowhere in China, and this happened where you know the 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 players got offered cigarettes. Um, first of all, actually, the, the the people came to talk to the players, and then they were talking to them in Chinese. And then Mike, who speaks Chinese, says, "Hey, this guy doesn't speak Chinese." And then the Chinese person was like, "Oh, okay," and then continued to talk to that guy in Chinese. So, so then the other thing was the cigarette thing, where the guy offered one of the players a cigarette. The players like, "I don't smoke," and and this was this guy actually spoke English, so it wasn't a translation issue or anything like that. So he's like, "Yeah, I don't smoke." He's like, "All right, okay, cool." And then they went for like coffee later, and they're like, uh, "Sorry, lunch later." And he's like, hey, "You wanted a cigarette?" He's like, "No, no, I don't smoke." And then they went for dinner later, and then the guy offered him a cigarette again, and uh, the player was like, "Yeah, man, I don't smoke." So one of the other players is like, "I think the way Chinese people see cigarettes is you're saying like like water, you know, you're you're not thirsty right now, but you're probably going to be thirsty later, right?" Like that was that's kind of the point. <laughs> Like you're saying no right now, but you want some water later. Of course, everyone drinks water. What are you talking about? <laughs> Man, China, China is fascinating. Um, did you have any uh, difficulties when you were? What was what were some besides the food thing? 
and, and obviously a little bit of language barrier, but you know, mm. what, what, what were your main difficulties? Yeah, think about that for a second. I think you, you kind of got it with the food part. That was pretty much it. But um, no, I think that would be it was to... Was the food? Uh, the food, but I definitely recommend learning some Chinese before you come. Mm. It, I think it goes a long, long way. Um, because for me, I was so, I was so in tune with, with business meeting after meeting after going to visit this guy and, and just the Canton Fair, I had no time to really take out and just try to learn a little bit of the language. Yeah. Um, I will say this. I took in, a, an introductory course to Mandarin before I came to China. And, and even just that, you know, two, three months that I did that really helped me a lot when I got here, you know, uh, mm -hmm. just because the language I already knew a few basic sentences. Like I could say what my name was. I could say where I live, you know, things like that. Um, I could say where I'm from. I could understand when somebody is asking me. I could, I could understand the difference between a question and, uh, and a, a statement, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. Like those, those things kind of go a big way. Like if you're talking to somebody and you don't quite understand what they're saying, but you understand how a question is structured in Mandarin versus how a statement is structured in Mandarin, you might be able to guess what they're trying to say to you, you know? So like, yeah, maybe you're on the train or you're on a bus and somebody's like the conductor asks you a question. He might be asking you like for your ticket kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's like, but if you don't speak Mandarin at all, um, and you don't know the difference between a statement and a question, you're just going to be like completely confused in those situations. So it, it's it's definitely beneficial even just to do a little introductory course before you get down there. Yeah, I agree. That's something I wish I had more time to do prior to coming. I think that would be my, if I coming out would be the number one thing I do is, you know, sign up for a six-month semester at the college of just learning straight Chinese. And of course, being in the culture, it's a lot, being in the country itself is, it makes it a lot easier to learn just because you're around it 24 compared to learning in the U.S. and then coming. So, so uh, what about, you talked, you touched on networking a little bit, but uh, so you met people that were super successful on Amazon. Um, did you meet any people that you weren't expecting to meet in, in different industries, and whether it's Chinese people or expats? Definitely. Um, both, actually. So I've met, um, actually, so Mikasa, one of the restaurants that me and Rico went to a couple times. Yeah, my favorite I think restaurant. It was, yeah, a very nice restaurant, highly recommended. Um, it was a there was a guy sitting at a at a table next to us, and I don't I just kind of recognized his his Australian accent. I asked him like, "You're Australian?" I think he was kind of impressed, knowing that I somehow was able to pick up his accent. We just kind of kicked off the conversation. The guy turns out to be the man behind bamboo flooring. He owns the patent to bamboo flooring, and just kind of you know meeting somebody like that on the fly shows you you never know who's around you if you see an expat in the country they're there for for a reason nobody just goes to china because they are you know 
they're bored. Someone that goes to China is is in China most of the times. Is in China they're on a mission. They're there to accomplish something. If it's for business reasons, at least. So you know, talking to him, and now he's very successful in in kind of what he does. He also owns a, a food, um, a, a, an Australian food and wine company, and he's got I think six offices around the world, and. He's doing big things, and you know, he actually was. He met me. He, I met up with him several times after, um, for dinner, just to discuss. Kind of, you know, it was interesting. He he goes. He's like, it looks like you're searching for something, mm-hmm. and he's like, and I I can't you know give it to you. He's like, but maybe he's like, I can guide and help you so you can get there. And I was like, you know, I was highly appreciated. And of course, people like this you don't you don't meet every day here in Houston, and and usually they're not. If you do meet someone like this, they're not super open to allow you into their life. You know, this yeah. guy told me, you know, straight up, he's like, you know, I'm very busy. He's like, but he's like, it's, he, I think what, what he recognized was maybe a younger version of himself coming to a foreign country, trying to do something. Maybe that's what it was. Or I think it's a lot easier to also click with people from the West because there's such, there's so few of us there. I mean, even, you know, you're walking around and you see somebody that looks, they're not Chinese Instantly, you have this sort of connection walking past each well, other. You kind of look it's, at each it's, it's, it's a fraternity, right? Like, there's a very exactly. small number of you, and you're doing this very specific thing that not a lot of people do. So, for me, for me, especially when I meet somebody that's been living in China for one, two, three, four plus years, automatically I'm like, Oh, you're an interesting person. Like, why why have you been in China for this long? And then there's also this affinity of like, you've been through the same shit that I've been through. You know, exactly. Uh, you've made the same decision that I made, which is very unusual. You know, because a lot of people can't do that. Like, I, you know, the vast majority of people that I've known that I've met in China that were not Chinese have left. You know, within six months. You know, on average. You know, people who decided to come and live here and whatever it was like on average within six months they were gone. So for me, when I see somebody that's been here for a longer period of time or somebody that's taking a very very active interest in the culture, like immediately they kind of are different to me than anybody else. Mm-hmm. No, definitely, and I think it's it's much easier to build connections with these people. Yeah. So when in regards to networking, um, if you're if you're a social person. You can be slightly social and make a lot of, a lot of you know, make a lot of good contacts, um, pretty quickly. I mean, in three weeks, or sorry, four weeks, I was able to have. And this is kind of uh, again pretty ridiculous, just because I talked to a lot of people. Um, I added eighty, I think it's over eighty people on WeChat, just from communicating. You know, so for me it was like, and I would say probably at least half are people who I can definitely. Um, have some sort of resource that I can offer them, or they can offer me. In you know, in regards to business or or whatever it may be. So um, you know, I think when it comes to networking, even with Chinese, Chinese is a little more difficult, just because you're to them, you're just a foreigner. But um, met some good contacts all over. It's awesome, man. Uh, and you spent a month here and did you did you come away from it feeling like you were more interested in China or did you you know did you come away from it feeling like 
less interested in China or like I understand, I understand this place more like what was uh, the kind of end feeling when, yeah, you, when you got I, on you know, the plane I don't think that I don't think there's ever an end when you, when you visit a place, uh, at least for me, like, you know, going to Latin America and things like that, I always crave going back. And I think China is no different for me. Um, the more I've learned, the more I want to know. I want to know what else is there. I've only been to, you know, three areas in the country. And I've heard about many more than that. So I want to know what else is there in the other regions. Mm. And for me, of course, I still like traveling. You know, traveling is, is my passion. I didn't, get, I didn't get a chance to do any of the tourist attractions. You know, I didn't, do, I didn't go into the mountains, which I really wanted to do. I didn't go to Beijing to go see the Great Wall. I didn't go to Shanghai to experience, you know, the, the hustle and bustle of, um, of is, it, is Shanghai the second largest city in, in China? Yeah, Beijing, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't Beijing is the largest. Than, well, yeah. by so population, really. Okay. So there's a lot I still didn't see, which I'm curious to go out and see more. But I think for me, it's I feel more comfortable understanding the people, um, more comfortable understanding the culture, uh, understanding business. I mean, as far as business experience, definitely walked away feeling very... Um, like I've added a lot more experience to... To kind of you know myself and and what I know and and what I need to what I need what I need to know to to do better business um, with the East. So very, I think you know the last month was was definitely very accomplishing, very successful. Um, but I definitely want to go back. Uh, it was kind of my preview to do I want to actually live in the country, and mm -hmm. it's it's this weird feeling, you know. Um, as soon as I arrived in Guangzhou, something felt good. I felt right. Like I felt like this is exactly what I've been searching for. I don't know what it is. It's just a feeling you get, right? And I, I was like, maybe I'm just, you know, excited. But sure enough, like when I went to Shenzhen, it was okay. But when I came back from, from to Guangzhou from Shenzhen, that feeling just like came back again. And I don't know if it's just all the people. I mean, we're talking about a city larger than New York City. Yeah. By five million people. So you can imagine the kind of action that's, that's in the city. Yeah, I mean, uh, for me... I don't know, just the scale of everything that goes on in China is just so much bigger than anything I've seen before uh, in Toronto or in New York or whatever. It's just like things are just moving so much faster here. And it's just fascinating. It, it inspires me. Um, and then at the same time, when you're talking about like, you know, Guangzhou versus Shenzhen, I think it's a cultural thing. There's a history here. You know, it, it, you feed off of that energy where Shenzhen is, is is very much you know manufactured um, mm -hmm. I, I'm curious about why there are certain people that come to China and sort of fall in love with the place and then there are other people that completely hate it um, it seems like you fell in love with China I think inherently it's a mindset thing um, but yeah, I, I'd be curious to to understand like why. I, yeah. And I also, also, you know, we talked about this a little bit. Like we've traveled, both you and I have traveled quite a lot in our lives. Um, so and you know, moved at a very young age from different countries to to the West. So maybe that's a big part of it. Mm, true, true. So yeah, I, for me, you know, I moved to. I was born in the Middle East, and I moved to 
the U.S. when I was seven. <clears throat> so originally, I had that culture shock, and right away, I became interested in knowing what else was out there, what else was out here in the U.S., but what else was out there in the world. So I became more interested in traveling. I think, you know, again, kind of like back what I said earlier in the conversation was having previous travel experience made China very easy for me. Um, because it's such a different culture shock. China is is on a whole other level of culture shock. And I, I almost think it's almost for like an experienced traveler. It's like an ex like a traveler, like expert level, right? Because um, there's so much happening. There's so much change that when you're not used to it, it's like when you bring in too much change at once, people, it, it, you know, it, it almost creates fear in people. Mm -hmm. They feel uncomfortable, right? But if the change and you're, you're, you've experienced change gradually and then you jump into China, it's like, oh, okay, cool. This is nice. But again, it goes back to what you're saying. It's doing your research and understanding what you're walking into, right? I knew my, I, you know, I, I did my research. I knew what, what to expect. I, you know, I downloaded WeChat, downloaded Didi. Um, I knew about Taobao. And these, it's just these little things that can, can make or, you know, make, make or, or, or break the trip. And of course, it's like, what to expect for the Cannes Fair. I think the biggest piece of advice I got for the Cannes Fair from reading on it was wear comfortable shoes. I brought sneakers with me every day. And I think mm -hmm. seeing people that were wearing suits and dress shoes, I could tell they were, they were miserable by the end of the day from the amount of walking they were doing. So proper research makes a difference. And the number one thing I think is psychology. Exactly what you said, having that mindset, right? Are you walking in, into this into the country thinking, ah, oh, this is going to be a terrible time. The food's going to suck. This, this, that, and you know, you're going to you're going to think about all the negative things of China. Or are you going to go in with a positive mindset, with a goal, walking in? You know, what are, am I? What am I going to accomplish here? You know, how how can I, um, you know, adapt more to understanding their culture and just adapt to, to adapt to their culture and understanding. For them, for me, part of that was like. I would be go, I'd be at this park and I'd see someone do Tai Chi and there's nothing between, that's stopping me and him from doing it together, right? So mm -hmm. I jumped in and I would just do Tai Chi with this guy at the park. He'd look at me a little weird at first, but he'd just go with it. And it was normal. And I did my best to, to just embrace their culture and jump into it as much as I could. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, it changed the outlook of, of my experience. And again, talking to people, Talking to strangers, you learn so much about, you know, why they do certain things or why they think, you know, a specific way. Um, and it could be somebody that has lived there for a long time, like yourself. You taught me plenty about China just from from sitting down. And that's kind of why another reason why I enjoyed listening to the podcast was I learned so much from the podcast. But it was like when we finally sat down in person, like you taught me a lot. Talking to Harrison taught me a lot, right? Um, and uh, just talking to you know the Airbnb hosts that I had, you know, and and every single person I met on the train that looked like they were a foreigner that could speak English, or even a Chinese person that could speak English. And mm -hmm. you know, I'll give you, you know, this is a small example. I saw a guy, you know, I asked him for directions, and he asked me where you're from. He was a Chinese guy, and, and he goes, I told him Texas. He's like, oh, Texas. He's like, don't mess with Texas. Mm -hmm. And I asked him, I was like, how did you hear that? And he goes, I saw it in a movie. And I was like. That's, it's, to me, that was awesome that he knew that about, you know, my state that yeah. I live in now. Don't mess with Texas. But yet, most Americans don't know anything about China. Yeah. 
So, you know, they know more about us than we know about them. And I think yeah, that's a, that's, that's, a part- that's a global thing for sure, though, just because yeah. uh, I always say this, the biggest export that the U.S. has right now is culture. True. And everybody wants to have that. Some, Mo- some American lifestyle from the movies, movies of course, and music, fashion. fashion. Yeah. But I don't think we do enough to understand and learn more about other people's cultures. And I think that's what can change, you know, in experience when you're traveling somewhere is, is learning just a little bit more about what you're walking into can really shift um, the vision that you have walking in. So that's personally why I love the country. And of course, I love business yeah. and it's the business hub. If you're, if you're looking to grow, if you're looking to expand, if you're looking to start something new and different, or you're looking to just find something. Or you're looking to, for challenges or expansion yeah. or, you know, yes. yeah, China's that place. Or if you're looking for a sourcing agent, contact Rico <laughs> at Source Find Asia. I mean, again, to me, it's, uh, there's just so much in this country that was absolutely amazing. So I fell in love. Hey, what's up, guys? We will return to regular scheduled program shortly. But I just wanted to let you know about a new service that we just launched. It's a design for manufacturing service. We've hired a very, very fantastic industrial designer who has experience working with uh, doing DFM for South American manufacturers as well as Chinese manufacturers and I think our rates are pretty reasonable in comparison to what you'd get if you're working with a company based in the US just because of labor costs right Um, yeah so what we can now do what SFA is now capable of doing is taking a crudely drawn item product idea on a napkin you drew it drunk in a bar or something like that and then taking it into 2D uh, giving you recommendations on the bill of materials and taking it into 3D and CAD and having that formatted specifically for manufacturers, right? So we're doing a beta launch at the moment. Um, Official launch date is June 4th for the beta launch. Um, For anybody that gets in before the beta launch, there will be a special discount. Uh, So if you want more details, go to the website and shoot me an email. It's rico at sourcefinasia.com, R-I-C-O at sourcefinasia.com, and just say DFM service in the subject line. Cheers. Yeah, man. I, uh, I for me, I always talk about it all the time. It's like this place is is so crazy. The amount of stuff that goes on here. Uh, I think the biggest thing that pe- holds people back, like we we've talked about, is the mindset. You know, when people don't have the right mindset and they're not open-minded to the experiences, then they're not downloading all the apps. They're not meeting the people that they should meet. They're not doing the research that they should do. And then they come away from it feeling like, oh, you know, this place is is horrible. Like, uh, I have one of my clients, he contacted me, obviously, and then he came down and then we went to factories and I organized everything. His first two trips to China were completely organized by me. The third trip... He was doing something a little bit different. So he he was actually contemplating coming to live here. And he came down and then he did the trip entirely by himself. Like, uh, not entirely, but like, I'll say at least 
he was here for a month. I'd say at least like a week. A week, a week I organized, and then the other three weeks he was kind of like, yeah, I've got my, I've got a few other projects I'm working on. Uh, I've got factories I've been communicating with. I'm, I'm gonna handle it with my team. And I was like, all right, cool, no worries. And by the end of that three-week period, he's like, man, I need to get the fuck out of this place. I, uh, <laughs> I don't plan on coming back here. Like it was like a completely different thing, and I was just like, yeah, man, like because. You assumed because of the first two trips that you had that were very, very well organized and structured and you're using all the resources that have built up over years of being here that you could do the exact same thing when you came down. So your his mentality coming into it was very, very naive. And I think a lot of people who don't do like he he's a very a very smart guy, but he's very much a person who lives uh, like not vicariously he lives like he's very spontaneous so he'll just you know travel to a place without doing any research on it um, so like yeah with, with the China thing like when he came down by himself he didn't do much research on what he was supposed to do so he was figuring out things on the ground a lot of the stuff on the ground and that's not an easy thing to do in China uh, you will struggle a lot like if you're trying to figure out everything on the ground like with the language barrier with the cultural barrier it's like a, it's it's a nightmare man like even for me having enter china as a resource being a member of enter china coming down here was huge it, it helped so much so yeah i think i think to add on to why it's so difficult also to do research on the ground slow internet your websites well, this, by the well way, no not even slow it's just like you just can't access google without a vpn yes so now now it. you're having to use websites that you've never used before you don't use on a regular basis mm-hmm. communication is different as well no whatsapp uh no social media in in regards to you know facebook instagram twitter um actually that was that was would probably be the answer to your question of what I didn't like about China. So on top of the food was the the blocks of and bans of certain websites. Now I, I have to admit though, that was there's also a positive side to that. I didn't spend an, a lot of time on Facebook. I didn't spend a lot of time on Instagram. So there was a lot of time that I was saving, focusing on my trip rather than wasting away scrolling on social media. So that was a, a pro a plus side to having all those Sites banned, but having Google banned was a little tough just for search purposes. Yeah, I had to use Bing. And yeah, a, I wasn't a fan of Bing. And, uh, and I told you stop using Bing. Use Yahoo. Use <laughs> Yahoo. Even <laughs> Yahoo was terrible, man. They both suck. <laughs> no, I mean it's, it's they're garbage. But like you know, it's better than Bing. Um, yeah, no, I mean the, that those are things that you have to get used to. Uh, of course, you get a VPN. And then you can use your VPN to do Google searches if need be. So what I what I tend to do these days is if it's something China related, like let's say I'm trying to find an address to a place, I'll use Yahoo uh, because Yahoo's actually going to bring me uh, results that are more relevant for China. And then if it's anything else that's deeper uh, or something that is not has nothing to do with China, I'll use Google, turn on my VPN and all that stuff, which is just like an added step, so it takes longer to do certain things. But, you know, you, you get used to it being here. It is very, very frustrating initially. Um, and then, like, for example, now that I've been here for so long, like, I have a VPN router at my office. So that, that just, it, it's such a game changer in having VPN 
in, in like it's way more consistent than having a VPN app on your computer or your phone. Uh, really? It's faster. Nice. It's it's amazing. Like uh, sometimes, sometimes when I'm in the office, I I completely forget that I don't even have any issues with the internet in general. Like when I'm in the office, I'm like, oh okay, this is super fast. Everything's great. Uh, so, you know, there's things that you can, but it's not cheap. Like I had to spend 500 bucks to to get the VPN router, and I plan on getting one for my apartment in the near future as well. So there's there's things that you can do to make your life a little bit easier here. Um, so in closing, I'd love to know. Do you? This, I have a, a couple of closing questions, but first thing would be like, what is for anybody that's never been to China before? And they're thinking about coming here. What is the one piece of advice you would give them? Uh, do your research, and if you don't feel like doing your research, find someone there that's going to lead you to to the right ways, or else you're going to be wasting a lot of time and a lot of money, not knowing where you're going. China is a, is a big country. It's an easy place to get lost, and not a lot of people speak English, so. Make sure you at least have a, a game plan. Definitely build a game plan. And 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 you're, if you're flying all the way from the U.S. or you're flying from wherever you are, if it's far enough, don't stay for seven days because you're not gonna have a fun time like running around in a rush trying to catch meetings left and right. So give yourself some time. Do your research. You obviously sell on Amazon. Um, what? Two parts of this. What was the benefit of you coming down here for a month with regards to your Amazon FBA business? And then, what are your what is your what are your future plans with the business uh, with regards to being in China and you know managing the business through China? Uh, the benefits for me I, in regards to Amazon was so I don't just sell on Amazon. I also sell on. I have my own store as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amazon is just a marketplace where I sell on, so I'm not. I, I guess I wouldn't consider myself just an Amazon seller. There's people that just sell on Amazon, and for those people, you're gonna have a fun time in China because there's products left and left and right that you can source. Um, so part of what I was doing was looking to expand more into um, into my market, into my niche, and looking to see what other opportunities there are. Um, I think going to the Amazon seller meetups, and you know, I don't know if they go on every year. I think they do. They have some throughout the year, but I mean, the ones specifically for the Can't Fair attracted. Um, the first event I went to was over 200 people. The second event was about 150 people. They have other and, events throughout the year, but they're not as big. Okay, so so these are, are large events, and and people that are coming to these events, they're not new sellers. Most of them, majority of them are active. Um, experienced sellers that have been very successful. I met the guy who um, sold the solar eclipse glasses. This guy was the number one seller of the solar eclipse glasses. He made six million dollars in sales in six months. And talking to him was was just mind blowing. And me and actually me and him hung out after. And you know, it's people like that that you can meet, that you can network with, that you know, just you, you may not meet living in the city that you live in, or you might meet. But I think it's when you come to China, you're meeting people who are experienced. You're meeting people who are, who sometimes could be far well into their career, or 
have enough knowledge that they can teach you something. To me, I'm always learning. That's my goal is to learn. If I can learn something, if I can learn one thing from every person I meet, my my goal is accomplished in regards to that relationship. And, you know, I think when in regards to, to being a seller of any item, um, this is the place, China is the place to... Um, seek out new products, seek out new industries, whatever it may be. I, I'll, you know, I'll be honest, I, I saw plenty of industries at the Cannes Fair that I was thinking to myself, like, well, these are way more profitable than what I'm doing right now. And I can easily get, you know, if you have the right capital, can easily get cash flow flowing in real quick. And there's, there's a lot of new items. There's a lot of new products that are, that are blowing up in Asia that have not hit the U.S. market. And if you're there and you're early enough, catch on that to get on that train you can make a lot of money within the next year or two biggest mistake you made with regards to business in china when you were here or uh biggest thing that you learned where you're like i'm not going to do that again do not walk into a factory and tell them exactly what you want without i mean obviously there's there's almost like no you know, regulations when it comes to stealing ideas. But let's just say this. I had a really good idea for for something, for a feature that I want to add to a product. And the question was, can you make this? And and he looked at me and this is the this is the boss of of the manufacturing plant. He owns a molding company on top of all this manufacturing. So this guy is he's the real deal. And this company probably employs <coughs> over 200 people, so it's it's not, you know, it's not a smaller manufacturing compared to some of the other ones you'll see in China. And when I gave him the idea, I swear he just kind of looked at me like I just like sparked the biggest light bulb he's had in years because he goes, "Oh, this is what you want." He's like, "Yeah, we can make that." And it was almost like sitting there looking at it like I shouldn't have told him that because now I don't have. I don't have I don't have a patent to that product in the U.S. So if he, he can go make it and he can go sell it, let's say let's say he quotes me really high on a on tooling and molding costs, and I decide not to go through with it, that doesn't block him from using it. So I think the biggest thing is don't tell him everything that you want. And I know that sounds kind of weird because you're like, well, how how am I gonna how am I gonna get how am I gonna get my product made? And I think sometimes it's trying to see it's what are they capable of making, right? Asking different questions rather than just giving them exactly what you're looking for. Yeah, sometimes and, sometimes what I'll do, I'll tell clients to do is give them a sort of watered-down version of what you're trying to do. So mm-hmm. if you're making tweaks to an existing product, like kind of tell them the basic stuff, but then don't tell them exactly, like you said, exactly what you're trying to do. So then even if they copy it, it's not going to be the, the same level, but you giving them that concept allows you to see whether they're capable of making what you're trying to do, you know, without right. giving them everything. Exactly. Now to follow up on all this, uh, the guy sends me a picture of exactly what I'm looking for within three days. So again, it goes back to like just showing you the capability that these guys have. Yeah. They move very fast. Right. If they, they believe in it, fast. yeah. Oh man, they move very fast, and 
again, now you're thinking to yourself, well, why? Well, that's a good thing. He's giving you exactly what you want, right? Maybe, maybe not at the price I want, right? Or maybe not at the terms that I want. Maybe he'll make it for me, but he wants it. He wants it at an MOQ that's so high that to me it wouldn't make sense. Um, but at the same time, it's it's understanding that I'm not his biggest customer right now, and his biggest customer could be my could be my biggest com- competitor. So he might go throw that idea at him as soon as I walk out of that room. Mm-hmm. So, so you got to be very careful what you tell these guys. So plans for the future with regards to business with China? Um, I'd like to definitely come out, man. I, I think China is the future uh, in regards to business. It's growing at at a rate right now of 6%, whereas uh, the U.S. is growing at a 2% rate. So to me, you know, when, you, when you're looking at the stats, when a country is going three times faster and you want to be, and you, you know, you want to you build yourself the right path for yourself you got to go where you got to go where where the growth is so i see it to me it just makes more sense to be in china um my aim is to be there hopefully by february um but we'll see i think that's um that's kind of what i'm working towards right now maybe sooner maybe a little later but never know that's that's how that's what i see something that you believe that other, if you told other people, people might think you're crazy. <laughs> um, I'm going to crack the Chinese market. I'm gonna, and I'm going to make a billion dollars doing it one day. All right. Okay, I could, to me, there's way too many heads in the Chinese market that are, if I can make, we talked about this, if I can make a dollar off each person that I walk past every single day in China compared to the amount of people that I walk past here in the US, you can make way more money in that country. I mean, you have a consumer society who's spending like crazy, young, a lot of disposable income. And then you have the US, which also has money, which is also growing, but just not at the same level. Hmm. Well, where, where does it make sense? You know what I mean? I, I can. So, I'm not going to argue with that. I can respect that. Uh, three books, podcasts, or even movies that people could read, watch, listen to to understand you better. Um, books. I think it's. It goes back to the classic. Think and grow rich. And that's the the biggest mind shift changer. Yeah. I think the first book. I yeah, just that read, was, I just read that last year. It was amazing. Yeah, I've reread that book several times, and I think it's a good one. Well, uh, I've referenced sec- it a bunch of times for sure, but yeah, since I read okay, it last nice, year. Nice. Um, the second would be um, The Alchemist. Um, mm. That book has led me to some crazy places. I just, I don't know. I just believe in in the idea of that book. I actually want to say four books. What's funny is like The Alchemist. I just added to my uh, my my audible wish list the other day like, oh really yeah like literally like two days ago like, That's like a good no, it might not even be two days ago it might have been like earlier today kind of thing but anyways yeah uh, me and Rico we discovered a lot of ourselves we have this very weird connection where we like a lot of the same things and we've done a lot of the same things which is 
it's kind of weird. I think that's why we quickly. I think you can. I think you can always tell, like, especially like if you listen to a podcast or something like that. Like that was a big thing with my podcast is I wanted people to see my personality. Like I don't like who I am on the podcast is who I am in real life. Like I swear and all that stuff, and like I try to bring people into my life. So I think if you listen to it, you're like, oh, okay, Rico's like this. Chances are, if you like me, we probably vibe on the same things not not always a hundred percent the same stuff but like you know people that listen to it free like i know any person that listens to a podcast and i like guess listened to like 10 15 plus episodes they tend to like read the same books as me and then the, especially the people that decide to come to china which isn't that many like i've maybe met i've maybe met like uh five to 10 people that listen to the podcast that have actually been to China but every single mm. one of those people I vibed with yeah. nice yeah. nice it's interesting um, the third book would be um, the it's called The Power of Now yeah, yeah I know about, I know uh, The Power of Now yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. about like living in the present moment I think this book is a good bringing me back to my base I'm, I'm constantly um Thinking of the future, always. I'm, I'm always living in the future, thinking about what's, what, what's my next step? What am I going to do with this? Where am I going to go with that? And all the things that I want to accomplish. And, and the power of now really just kind of allows you to try to live. It teaches you to try to live in the present moment. Mm. And I think you know, it's a big thing nowadays. A lot of us either live in the past or live in the future. And when you focus on the present moment, you get to really enjoy what you're doing right now, which for me right now is sitting behind this computer <laughs> on this leather chair. Um, so it's like putting yourself in the scene, but being able to recognize it more, right? So it's like when you're not doing something subconsciously, like for me, I'll be working and eating food at the same time and not really getting to enjoy the flavor of the food. Yeah. So the power of now helps you understand these little things, you know, throughout your daily life and routines to bring you to the present moment. Yeah, you can never um, you can never go wrong with Eckhart Tolle. Nah, yeah, he's good. He's yeah, very good. And yeah, the importance of that is like that translates not just into like, let's say the. Uh, I think a lot of times when people think about living in the now, they're thinking about their life and their happiness and you know what fulfills them on a day to day basis from an interpersonal level, but like from a business level. The power of now aspect is like, hey, I'm sitting down right now. I am recording a podcast, or I'm sitting down right now. Right. I'm answering emails, and I'm. It's like, I'm, what am I doing in this exact? What am I moment? in this exact moment? This is the only thing that I'm doing. Forget my phone. Forget this. Like, and yeah, you know, it does. Ne not sometimes negatively affect certain relationships and stuff because people want to reach out to you whenever you know like oh it's 12 p.m yeah let me contact rico let me call rico and then when i don't answer the phone they're like oh you know what happened but the reality is i was living in my now which was at the time let's say 12 p.m usually at 12 i'm doing something related to like uh, uh something related to content you know, or marketing stuff. And when I'm in it, I'm in it, man. I leave my phone behind, I put my phone on silent. Like you can't get, you get, can't get to me. So that, that's an mm -hmm. important thing. It's not just in your personal life, being present with the people that are around you. It's also being very present and disciplined when you're working on something. Agreed. Yeah, for sure. All right, man. Uh, 
Oh, for, fourth book? Go ahead. Fourth I, book. I, I, go, go, you're <laughs> going to be the, you, you're gonna be the first person uh, to ever put the fourth uh, book on the podcast. Hey, go ahead, man. You're going to break ground. Damn. All right. Um, now, now I'm, I'm kind of split between two books. One of them is called Execution, and one I, of them is called Outwitting the Devil. Oh, I think. Oh man, we're gonna go with Execution. Then, I don't know, but with, Outwitting the Devil, okay. I do know. Okay, since then, if you know Outwitting the Devil, then just read that book. It's a good book. But I'll go with Execution. Execution, then. Um, since you haven't heard about it, it's a book that talks about just pretty much the difference between people who execute and people who don't. Mm. On a plain simple level, on a business level, right? It's mm. it's written by uh, by Sounds. two very successful uh, guys who have who have worked in corporate America and just talked about pretty much how they were able to grow businesses and and shift the minds of of individuals within their companies. And allowing them to execute more and get more done, rather than you know strategizing and planning and, and, and all that. This sounds like something um, that me and Gary Vaynerchuk would be a, a big fan of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just getting 100%. shit done. Just get shit done, I think, man. Like, that's it. I think the Chinese live by this by yep. this book. If it, because these guys, they just do. No, they just they get just, shit done. That's it. That's it. If Chinese people have direction, if they know exactly what they're supposed to do, they have a checklist, they'll get it done. That's it. All right, man. I think this was a this was a really good episode. I think I'm gonna split this into two parts because we're going on two hours, and you know this is very similar to the conversations that we we're having when we were hanging out in Guangzhou. Probably talk for yeah. hours. So I probably I would like to have you on the podcast again. Like I haven't had too many people on the podcast multiple times, but. I think there's more to talk about. If people want to reach out to you, how do they get in contact with you? For social, just uh, probably on Instagram. Hmm. Um, you can reach me at A-A-B-U as in under, L as in Lima, E as in elephant, I as in indigo, L as in Lima. Hmm. Um, so it's a- probably the best way. A-A-B-U-L-E? Yeah, A-A-B-U-L-E. And then, uh, yeah, I'll obviously link that up in, in the show notes on, on the website for sure. But did, I, did I pronounce your last name wrong? Abulel. It's, uh, it's a tough Abulel. one. It's not easy. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, so we're going to link up uh, your Instagram on the show notes for sure. And of course, if anybody wants to reach out to me, that's podcast at sourcefineasia.com. If you want to obviously go to the website to see the show notes at sourcefineasia.com slash made in china and you know drop us those uh five star reviews guys you know check out the youtube channel we've got new videos up there and uh enjoy thanks for listening yo tim we good with this one 